Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Just a heads up, this episode has a lot going on. Violence, strong language, guns. It's a train yard after all. Okay, so here we go. Hold on a second. Put the seatbelt on. I can't be driving around with the cops without my seatbelt on. Right, right. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm trying to figure out a town, I ask the cops to show me around. Today that town is Colton, California, Train Town USA, as it says on the city's seal. When I asked the Colton Police Department for a ride-along, they assigned Lieutenant Ray Menendez, a 19-year veteran, to show me around. So where we're at, we're in the south part of Colton, east of Rancho Avenue, right here, which is a main thoroughfare. I've asked Lieutenant Menendez to take me to Southside Colton, the neighborhood next to the train yard, where hobos from all over the country mix it up. And Menendez says he's met plenty of riders. Yes, by virtue that our city has trains running through it, both north-south and east-west, which is obviously conducive to having people jumping off the train and uh, visiting our city and not really knowing where they're at when they get off the train. So it's kind of an interesting contact, but yeah. Colton is like a lot of train towns around the country, but I'd heard it was a rougher place than most for a hobo, a place where gangs ruled and hobos had to be extra careful. If you're a tramp here, they just, they come down here for their initiation rites or whatever, and they just, they mess people up. He beat the shit out of him, and then he went and stole a bunch of shit for me. Like the who's who of riding trains of eventually going to come to Rancho Bridge. And this is about as good as... Medendez steers us to Pepper Street, a narrow strip of land overlooking the train yard, dotted with hobo tents. Um, And then I just saw a little camp over here. We're here, but... Oh, right, look, there is a camp right there. It's not a huge source of crime, this hobo encampment? No, no, we try not to have big encampments at all in the city. This is when I start wondering if I'm getting a straight story from Menendez. I'd heard Colton was the Wild West, a place where the extremes of hobo life were right out in the open, and those extremes date back to Colton's corrupt beginnings. But according to Lieutenant Menendez, Colton isn't like that at all. It's just another small town with small town problems. So who was telling the truth? Were the hobos exaggerating 
or was Menendez blowing smoke? And how do hobos survive here? I'm Danelle Morton, and this is City of the Rails. After Mike sent me a copy of The Crew Change, that hobo guidebook, I'd looked up the city I'd heard so much about. The Crew Change describes Colton as wide open and recommends dark hours best. It's a hub city for the railroad and for hobos. Josh Brack, a longtime writer who I met through another tramp, told me every writer at some point ended up in this patch of sand 50 miles east of L.A., like Colton, like who gives a fuck about Colton, California, right? Like what yeah, the fuck right. is West Colton? Like what the fuck is West Colton? But mm-hmm. to a train rider, West Colton is a fucking capital city. The place was so rough that hobos bragged about surviving it, and I heard about one tough guy who had SSC Southside Colton tattooed on his neck. In Colton, I used to sleep with the axe handle by my sleeping bag. Like everybody's gonna get drunk. And everybody's gonna fist fight like hard. Like mm-hmm. people were gonna like beat the shit out of each other like all night. If I wanted to know what Ruby and her friends were dealing with town to town, I could see the worst of it in Colton. You know, I think that. Um... So here I was with Lieutenant Menendez in the Durango. I asked him to show me places where train riders hopped out. I could tell he was choosing his words carefully. So we're exiting the tent here at Rancho. Um, and then I will take you to the main switching yard off of Pepper. Pepper and Rancho are two main bridges where city streets cross over the train tracks in Colton. Several tracks. We can get a bird's eye view from Pepper. Josh told me a lot went down under those bridges. It's like one of the most ridiculous, like, you will come across the craziest fucking tramps. Rancho Bridge used to be like the most banging spot. The who's who of riding trains is like eventually going to come to Rancho Bridge. And this is an old, old bridge. So there's the track. So there I was with Menendez at Rancho, but he wasn't giving me much. Oh, and I can see there's a chain link fence up there, but it's got a cut in it. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to, if the train was stopped there, you could go through that cut and get on the train. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Colton is a small town with a population of about 50,000. Seems unlikely that a veteran cop wouldn't know what went down there. So far, Menendez wouldn't give me a straight yes or no about anything. But I hoped he would at least know about this. I'd heard Colton isn't just a hub for hobos and the railroad. It's also a gang battleground. The area south of the train yard, Southside Colton, has a notorious gang. The Colton City Crips, or Three C's, has territory running right up to the edge of the train yard. One hobo told me the Colton gangs are so infamous that there are songs written about them. Southside Colton ain't nothing to play with. Eastside Riva, they've been known to spray shit. The Colton branch of the Crips was so violent that part of the city was under a gang injunction for more than a decade, ending in 2017. Colton's like totally like this fucking solo, like Vato local town. Like, mm-hmm. like if they think you're a punk, like they'll try you, like they'll try to like fucking basically, like, fuck your girl and, like, take your shit and, like, mm-hmm. make you buy dope from them. So I asked Lieutenant Menendez about the gangs in Colton, 
If the gang violence was as bad as I'd heard, I figured he'd have a few stories. So um, let's get back to the gang thing since we're about to go to Southside Colton. Um, how bad was the gang problem before? I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that um, I think they had their fair share of shootings and violence and and turf wars, um, but maybe no more than any other city or smaller city. Um, nothing that would stand out more than uh, anything else. Um. With each question evaded, I grew more and more suspicious of Menendez. I'd heard that the gangs in Colton fought turf wars, and sometimes hobos were targeted as part of their initiation rites, and I'd met one. Zoe, who took me through the Roseville yard, introduced me to her friend Lee, who grew up around Colton. And for Lee, the turf wars and initiation rites weren't a rumor. They were a reality. That was my home yard. When I left Colton, I was leaving home. When, when I rolled into Colton, I was coming home. I would hang out around Rancho, Pepper, or the yard if I was feeling it that night. But usually I would try to wait around and outside of the yard. It felt a little better. As a local, Lee believed he knew how not to get tangled up with the street gangs of the south side. Riverside County, it's a... Uh, it's very true. It's a different street politic. There's rules. What are those rules? Keep your head down. I don't know. Just don't cause trouble, you know? The old-timers just say, hey, man, every now and again there's a beatdown or a killing, and they come down here for their initiation rites or whatever, and these attacks happened in the past few months and the uh, past few years steadily. Lee experienced this firsthand. Six years ago, he found himself on the wrong side of a Southside Colton gang. He was in the train yard with a friend, when a gang member came up. Like three in the morning. Somebody just rolled by and shot you? Well, he puts it to my face through the chain link fence and he pulls the trigger and it just goes click, click. And then he cocks it or gets it right or whatever. And then it turned to blah, blah, blah. And he just unloaded on me and he uh, struck me twice. The bullet passed in and out of my hat twice and grazed my head. And the other one went through my back, through my lungs and my ribs and came out of my chest. Lee ran for his life as the gang member chased after him, still firing off rounds. As I was running, blood was just dripping out of my mouth and breathing blood, and I just didn't really know where it came from. You'll see the sparks flying all around me. I thought maybe they were going to finish me off because they were running after me, still firing. Once the shots rang out and we ran, a getaway car screeched up to pick him up, and the woman that he was with was cheering him on, saying, yeah, get him, and she was just laughing, and... And he just shot me in the head and shot me in the torso. Lee stumbled to a nearby house and got a guy in the neighborhood to call him an ambulance. And yet it somehow gets worse once Lee arrives at the hospital. He was hooked up to half a dozen machines with his stomach stitched together when the Colton cops arrived. They asked him some routine questions, but didn't take Lee's assault seriously. Yeah, they interviewed me in the hospital. They told me they didn't believe the witness, my friend who was also being fired upon, and uh, they just wrote a couple things down, rolled their eyes, and left. Never heard from them again. Yeah, I don't know. It just basically was swept under the rug. Just the home, didn't even the, do a police yeah, the, report? No police report? No, I, don't, I don't know. It seemed like the police wanted to pretend the hobos and the violence in Colton didn't exist. But I tried Menendez one last time. I'd made a public record request for Lee's police report, so I pulled it up on my phone and started reading. Transported to 
Arrowhead Regional Medical Center where he was treated for his wounds. Witnesses were contacted and evidence was booked into the Colton Police Department. No suspects were contacted. So there's a lot. So there's a lot that's missing here. There's a lot that's redacted. The truth is I don't know. And I don't think that, like you had said before, there was some initiation on, uh, you know, to get into the gang. I think you said that they had to kill or beat up a train rider or something. I've never heard that in the years I've been here. Um, Now, does Southside Colton gang exist? Yes. Have we had any activity in years with respect to them and train riders? I can't think of any within the past 15 plus years. I, I just, I honestly think that's probably an urban legend. 19 years on the force, years as a detective, and Lieutenant Menendez said he didn't know much about the gangs. But that bullet that went through Lee in the train yard wasn't a myth. So no justice for Lee. And no, getting shot apparently wasn't worth investigating. Hobos are on the lowest rung of the ladder, ignored, doubted, and discounted. But this issue of not being seen or heard isn't so black and white. Of course Lee deserves justice, but choosing to live a life apart, away from scrutiny and society, comes at a cost. Hobos don't trust the cops. If one of them gets beat up in a fight, mostly they nurse their own wounds rather than go to the hospital. And people can be shunned if they call the cops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully that helped. It did help, yes. Thanks. Menendez was not much help to me then or later. Before I left, he said he'd connect me to more knowledgeable detectives, even retired ones, who knew more about the gang beat. But he ignored me as soon as we parted ways. It was clear in Colton the hobos and the cops both wanted to pretend the other didn't exist. A fight between vagabonds and gang members, both of whom want to stay in the shadows. Just how do you follow up with a witness who could be states away tomorrow? But even still, if you get shot, you want the police to take you seriously. On this trip, I was starting to see the cost of life in the shadows, that people in power wouldn't value your life and wouldn't do a whole lot to help you protect it. But I had more people to talk to in Traintown, USA. Even if Menendez hadn't heard them, I heard wild stories about hobo life in Colton and about the life of Colton himself. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And Colton, I kept thinking about Lee and how if he'd been a high school student instead of a hobo, maybe the cops would have taken his shooting more seriously. But Colton has always been a place where the powerful decide who's in and who's out. Lieutenant Menendez told me during our ride-along that Colton was one of the few places where the tracks of rival railroads, Union Pacific and BNSF, crossed. That made Colton a battleground. Back in 1870, the two railroads paid armed security to battle it out at the spot where the tracks crossed. So Colton was born in conflict. After my time with Menendez, I stopped by the San Bernardino Historical Society, a little Victorian near the rails, to ask their president, Nick Cataldo, how Colton came to be. I know you. We've been talking on the phone oh, for months. Oh, yeah. Starting out, many railroad towns were just little stopping places along the tracks where the engine could get more wood and water to continue on their journey. Those places never amounted to much, but a place where two railroad tracks crossed, that was a place where there might be some trouble. This part of the California desert isn't much. It's not the beach ball vision of the Golden State. It's the edge of the Mojave Desert, an hour east of Los Angeles, a piece of land that wasn't worth very much to anyone until the railroad came. After the Civil War, the railroads were the high tech of their time. They could bring the country together and create a faster, more connected world. At least that was the hype of the people who ran the railroads. And just like tech, a lot of money was made by the founders, and a lot of money was lost by the average Joe who wanted in on the deal. The founding of Colton is a good example of these schemes. The story in Colton starts after the Central Pacific finishes the first transcontinental railroad through the center of the country, and the race is on to build another one in the south. In the early 1870s, Southern Pacific Railroad was running eastbound you know, from Los Angeles, and their, their goal was to connect with the eastern lines. As they laid track east across the California desert, they sold off the locations of the train stations and rail yards to the highest bidders. Oh yeah, there's always money involved somehow. You know, somehow the, the railroads, you know, they're working with the cities and these land speculators, real estate barons. 
So San Bernardino was the only city out here. So San Bernardino, they really wanted Southern Pacific to run through their town. And they had a spot where they, they really wanted this to happen. The wealthy landowners of San Bernardino County asked Southern Pacific executive David Daddy Colton how much it would cost them to get a train yard. David Colton, an experienced railroad man, gave them an exact number. They said that uh, they could work out a deal. If the supporters from San Bernardino would buy $100,000 worth of Southern Pacific bonds, this could happen, but there's still no guarantee that would actually go into San Bernardino. $100,000 back then would be $3 million today. So the, the people in San Bernardino said no. So they turned down the 100000 and that's why the Southern Pacific decided to continue on on their straight route by bypassing the city. In what feels like a middle finger to San Bernardino, Southern Pacific plunked the train station down in a dusty clearing just four miles away. They named it after David Dowdy Colton, who was the vice president, so that's how we get Colton. So Colton was established, San Bernardino lost out. And thus Colton is born at the will of the mighty Southern Pacific Railroad. And the cherry on top? Vice President David Dowdy Colton never breathed a single breath of that desert air. He died in 1878, and the, the town had already been uh, you know, established. But I don't believe he ever visited his namesake. Even if he never stepped foot in the town, it's no coincidence Colton was named after David Dowdy. At the time, he was a big deal in the railroad world. He was the go-to guy for the Big Four, the corrupt group of robber barons who founded the Southern Pacific Railroad. You might recognize some of their names, especially if you live in California. Stanford, Huntington, Crocker, and Hopkins. David Daddy Colton became so critical to their operations that he was adopted as the fifth member of the Big Four. At one time, the Big Four was the Big Five, and David Colton was the fifth guy. Stanford historian Richard White told me about the rise and fall of David Colton. Colton was a big guy, broad-shouldered with bright red hair, the kind of bloviator who, after he earned the honorary title of general, demanded that everyone after that call him the general. He was an insider, one of the original lobbyists who spread money around Washington, D.C. for the Big Four. He whined and dined congressmen at the Willard Hotel, trying to get them to grant tax breaks or subsidize construction. And then there were his illegal activities. David Colton, in fact, was an embezzler and was embezzling money out in ways that the Big Four were all too familiar with. They did it to other people, but they didn't do it to themselves. This is where Colton got greedy. He broke the cardinal rule of the Big Four. We cheat other people. We don't cheat each other. David Colton cheated the Big Four. Once they began looking at the books, they realized how much money Colton had taken. They will um, go after Colton. Colton will die. The story goes that early in October of 1878, David Colton's carriage pulled up in front of his mansion on Knob Hill in San Francisco. He was slumped in the back, beaten nearly to death. The driver said Colton had fallen off a horse, but it was obvious that no fall could have done that. And that's not where the big four stopped. They're not going to let his wife keep it. They then go after his wife, and they pretty much break his wife, bring the money back in, and David Colton is going to be expunged from the corporation. After David Colton died, the Big Four bankrupted his estate, seized his house, and threw his widow out into the street. And then one of the biggest of the Big Four, Collis P. Huntington, 
moved into it. You don't mess with the railroads. Colton tried and paid for it. So David Colton is a crook, even among crooks. He's the proof of the adage, to live outside the law, you must be honest, at least with each other. That's the man that Colton, California is named after, a crook betrayed by his fellow crooks. There may be honor among thieves and among hobos, but apparently not robber barons. I was starting to appreciate this during my trip to Colton, how when she were no longer useful, like David Dowdy Colton, he became an outsider, someone who was powerless and vulnerable. Maybe you chose this position, or maybe it's thrust upon you, but either way, you're on your own. The hobos in Colton knew this better than anyone. Maybe my sympathy for this part of hobo life was convenient timing. As I was learning about what it meant to be an outsider, I was becoming one myself. My place in the world, suddenly, was in free fall. Seven months after Ruby left, I found out my book, The Single Mom Effect, had been rejected. After I missed my first deadline, the book had been knocked around and landed on the desk of an editor, my third, who hated single moms. In her rejection, she wrote, you've wasted a considerable amount of sympathy on the problems of poor women. And when are these women going to start accepting responsibility for their unplanned, unwanted children? Okay, got it. After that rejection, reality set in. When the publisher buys your manuscript, they advance you part of the money. And when they cancel it, they want that money back. Well, mine was long gone. With that and my credit card bills, I was circling the financial drain. I was $140,000 in debt. The afternoon I got the rejection, I sat at my dining room table looking out at the view of the lake. I could feel the last pillars of my identity falling away. I was a writer, or had been, and I was a mom, and I used to think I was a pretty good one. And I was the woman who hosted dinner parties in my beautiful apartment, but clearly not for much longer. Here in the dining room, I felt how big institutions, big corporations, could destroy your sense of your value in the world in one rough move, and the decision could be up to one person. So who's in and who's out? I read about this very idea in The Single Mom Effect. No wonder it got canceled. One of the chapters was set in a housing project in Oklahoma, and it was all about surviving as an outsider. The bonds single moms created there kept them above water and built a stronger community. If one mom needed money for her electricity bill, she could get it from one of the other moms. And if another mom needed some high heel shoes for a date, she knew who she could borrow them from. Now I was beginning to see my circumstances as connected to these savvy single moms and to the bonds that travelers made on the rails. What came first, as outsiders, was a different kind of debt, one they owed to each other. I'd always assumed that depending on other people, not our financial and legal systems, was a gamble. But I'd spent my whole life striving, and where had that landed me? So as I sat at my dining room table, I almost couldn't believe the thoughts I was entertaining. That what the hobos and Ruby's friends said about stepping away from the status quo actually seemed logical. Were you really that much more at risk when you reject all of that? All outsider groups have something in common, going against the grain, surviving despite. Those are the stories I've always been drawn to, the stories of alliances between outsiders, like the single moms banding together. That same camaraderie exists in the hobo community. And in Colton, I was going to see the extreme forms that camaraderie could take. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. My trips to the train yards and the conversations I'd been having with hobos ever since Ruby left had sucked me into the city of the rails. But it wasn't until Colton that I saw its harshest realities. To survive in a town like Colton, hobos had to rely on each other for protection. There was a coat. They made alliances and enforced their values with vigilante justice. Just having a traveling family and knowing where the squats were may not be enough to make it in Colton. Like Richard White said, when you live outside the law, you have to be honest, at least with each other. And if you're a hobo in a town like Colton, that honesty takes extreme forms. Hello? Sylvia? Yeah? Hey, it's Sidel Morton. Sylvia was one of the train hoppers I spoke with while investigating Colton. I got her number through Lee. The hobo who got shot near the Colton Yard. Did he tell you what I'm up to? Kind of. You're doing something about One of the stories Sylvia told me about Colton stuck with me. It showed just how far hobos will go to protect each other. Sylvia described the cold winter night when she and her boyfriend got off the train at the edge of the West Colton Yard and immediately started looking for other people at the usual hobo spots. So we were going down to Rancho like smoke coming from underneath the bridge. They needed a warm place to camp, so they approached from out of the darkness, 
trying to get a sense of the situation. When they saw that smoke, they walked toward it. There's fire going. You just thought, like, whatever, fucking a home bomb. Because he was burning railroad ties underneath the bridge. Sylvia sized him up, assumed he was probably a local burning wood from the rail yard. But she and her boyfriend were about to meet another legend of the train world. He was like, hey, guys, like, you guys just get off that train coming from the north. And it's like, yeah, what's up, dude? He was like, watch out. There's some dude around here going around killing people. And I was like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. We're just trying to get out of the rain, dude. We finally get underneath the bridge, and it's Dirty Mike. The same Dirty Mike who pulled a gun in camp before looking for his friend's lost dog. Mike was testing Sylvia and her boyfriend, but they weren't the kind of people who scared easily. They passed Mike's test. Then we introduced ourselves, and then we just, like, hung out, and then, like, we had, like, 10 bucks to go get beer, and we bought beer and just hung out with them. But as they huddled around the fire with Mike, Sylvia saw that this wild man enforced his own idea of justice. Sylvia had a terrible cold, and Mike took matters into his own hands. I was, like, super sick. I had a really bad fever. And, like, he was pissed that my boyfriend at the time wasn't taking care of me. And he beat the shit out of him. And then he went and stole, like, Dayquil, Nyquil, Vicks, a bunch of shit for me, for me to get better. This was part of the hobo code. If a man was traveling with a woman and didn't take care of her, another rider would remind him of his responsibilities. If you're not going to do that, you'll get fucking green-lighted. Green-lighted means word got around that you should be beaten or worse on sight. Especially if your girl is like a real fucking like train rider and like, mm-hmm. if, like you ditch her and like something bad happens to her or like she gets raped and you don't stand up for her, like mm-hmm. you'll get green-lighted. Like they're going to, like her friends are going to fuck you up. Travelers rarely call the cops on each other when something goes wrong because they can't be certain the cops would side with them. Maybe they'd all get arrested. So they police each other. It was as simple as that. Sylvia's boyfriend wasn't taking care of her, so Dirty Mike showed him he better change his ways. And the next day, Dirty Mike kept looking out for Sylvia. I went to bed by the fire, woke up about like, I don't know, three, four o'clock. I went and like flew a sign. Flying a sign is hobo speak for panhandling. Sylvia didn't know she was standing on someone else's turf. This home bomb comes up and is like, what the fuck are you doing? This is my fucking fly spot. And I was like, no, dude, like, it's my turn to fly. Like, you weren't here. And he's like, I've been here 10 years. And I was like, I don't give a fuck how long you've been here. I'm just trying to make enough for a half gallon or 12 bucks at Tiger Mart, and then I'll be done. Homebums are homeless in the train yard, many of them older, retired hobos. They defended their turf. The guy yelling at Sylvia got physical. And then he's like, no, and grabs my sign. And I was like, you shouldn't fucking do that, dude. He's like, you're a fucking girl by yourself. What the fuck you gonna do about it? And I was like, oh yeah, motherfucker. And I yelled Dirty Mike's name. He comes running up. She's the dude has my sign and he fucking punches him, throws him over the off ramps. He goes flying down the hill. And then, like, I get my sign back, and then we were friends ever since. 
What surprises me most about that story, outside of a guy getting tossed over an off-ramp, is just how quickly Mike decides to help Sylvia. She was a total stranger to him, but just hours after meeting her, he's stealing meds and fighting a home bum to protect her. But that help came with some expectations. Sylvia told me she knew that she'd need to pay Mike back. We're all hanging out underneath the bridge. So I think there was like 10 of us underneath Rancho. We're all just like hanging out. Then Mike had found out that I do stiffen folks. And I had a bunch of needles and ink on me. And he was like, hey, you should do train tracks on my face. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. And then like he was like really like pissed me off that day. And I really didn't want to do a tattoo. But Sylvia owed Mike, so she agreed. She took out her bundle of needles and her pot of ink and sat down by the fire. So I was just like pretty much doing a tattoo to hurt him. (laughs) We were sitting down and he just had his face on my lap and I was just tattooing his face to train tracks down his face. Mm -hmm. Well, from like his eyebrow down his cheek, I did that. Even though Sylvia didn't feel like tattooing this maniac, resting his face in her lap, she knew she had to do it to keep a good reputation. And reputation was everything in the train hopping community. Lee told me the same thing. You had to size each other up, pay each other back, and spread the word when people didn't do right by you. That's how we check each other, you know? Gossiping, storytelling, it's like how we weed people out. Like, no matter where you're at on the totem pole, there's going to be a different little way that humans are weaning out the worst of mankind and the goodwill of man fucking manifests. Surviving on the edges, unsupported by society, you have to be resourceful. Lee knows all about this. He's been off the rails for a while and keeps his distance from the regular world, meaning he has to support himself in an unconventional way. Instead of writing, Lee decided he'd strike gold. That's pretty much the only thing that keeps me off the rails right now is uh, searching for gold. Zoe and I met Lee outside a country store in Oroville, Spanish for gold town, where he lives in the summer. He wanted to show me some places most people never see. We hiked underneath the freeway, covered with graffiti, and down a steep hill to a spot where trains cool their brakes after descending the Sierras. Jonathan Esposito had described this place to me. Lee was crashing at a friend's place and spent a lot of summer nights camping out by the streams, where he searched for gold in the old veins in Northern California. In the winter, he heads south, mining gold, platinum, and gemstones in the desert out past Joshua Tree where he sleeps under his truck in the heat of the day. And it was actually being a hobo that brought Lee here in the first place. Well, hop, hopping trains and uh, co- coming out to this part of the country for seasonal work, uh, started meeting a lot of the locals out here, and it's just a part of their heritage, and they shared their culture and their, uh, their methods with me. Lee met old guys mining the public lands in the Sierras, using the same methods miners from the gold rush did running water through a sluice and examining the heavy pieces that sink to the bottom for specks of gold. And just like hopping a train, Lee started as an apprentice. It's not too many young people into it, kind of a grumpy old man hobby. Uh, Miners don't like talking to each other all the time. It's kind of a weird thing. (laughs) And Lee told me, all the easy gold is gone. So if he's gonna make enough to get by, he has to look carefully. I found as much as like $600 in a weekend. But 
sometimes in a day, you know, it could just be a matter of cents or a couple dollars, but it's a lot of work. What did you call that? Snowflakes or what did you I call, call it? I call it fly poop. The, fly the poop. really tiny invisible gold uh, is the fly poop, but at the end of the day, that could be your bread and butter. So I, I got to recover the small stuff and the big stuff. But Lee told me he wasn't frantic about his yield from the hours he spent huddled over the sluice. He could be delighted by even the tiniest speck of fly poop. He sold the biggest pieces he mined and melted down the rest to make jewelry. And the thing I like about Lee is how he sees the world. Living this way, Lee sees potential everywhere. It, it is a lot of work. It's a process start to finish, and that's why it's not for everybody, or that's also why everybody doesn't know that they're surrounded by gold everywhere. You it's think because like, it's a process. If we're sitting here right now, it's like we're surrounded by gold. Yeah. It's all over. It's just a process to get it out. You got to work it out of the ground, you know, either out of the soil or the rocks. In Colton, I was beginning to see how the rails changed people and sometimes changed them in ways that meant they couldn't come back to regular life. Life on the rails was naked, not covered by platitudes and promises. To step inside the train yard is to realign your sense of power and your sense of honor. I kept thinking about Lee sleeping under his truck in the desert. That's how far he went to stay away from the false promises of life on our side of the tracks. Until the day my book got canceled, I'd been an insider. Now I was becoming an outsider, just like Ruby. But I still wanted her back. How do you bring an outsider back in? And how do you get them to stay? I had a chance to find out when Christmas rolled around. Ruby's father was trying to figure out how to get her to come home for the holidays. But it was a logistical crisis. She'd lost her ID, so she couldn't take a plane or a train. He finagled her an Amtrak ticket from Houston, but she'd already left and gone to Austin. On top of that, I knew there was more trouble in Ruby's life on the rails than she was letting on. Right around Thanksgiving, I found hospital bills in the mail, addressed to Ruby. I ripped one open. Not a bill, but a receipt for medication. I called a nurse friend to ask about the drugs. Strong antibiotics. Ruby must have had a pretty serious infection, my friend said. Emergency indigent care at a county hospital. This is my first evidence of Ruby slipping into the cracks. What was going on with her? My heart sank thinking about just how hard it was to get someone off the rails. But her father was able to get her a bus ticket and Ruby was taking the Greyhound from Austin to Oakland. She was coming home for Christmas. This guy knew her. He was one of the elders in that 18th Street gang. And then she's gone. And mm -hmm. during that time, she became someone that I didn't know anymore. I slept in the backyard with the dogs. Just like being inside, I felt claustrophobic. He says, come back here, be here tomorrow night, and I'll have her here. That's what he said. I'm looking for my daughter. I'll walk through the fires of hell. That's next episode on City of the Rails.
City of the Rails is written and hosted by me, Danelle Morton, and developed in partnership between Flip Turn Studios and iHeart Podcasts. Have a Colton story? Think we got it all wrong? Call in and tell us. You might just end up on the show. The number is 707-653-0339. And thank you to everyone who's been calling us. We listen to every message and they really give us a boost. Want to help us out? You can do it very quickly by leaving us a rating or review wherever you're listening to this. It will help more people find the show and it means a lot to us. Want to follow along? Find us on Instagram at FlipTurnPods. Our team is executive producer and showrunner Julian Weller and executive producer Mark Healy. Julian will always have Colton and the world's largest pancake. Senior producer and editing master Abu Zafar. And producers Emily Marinoff, Sheena Ozaki, and Zoe Denkla, who do not like the fact that I keep calling them my lady squad. Well, I've got the microphone, so you're outvoted. The lady squad knows how tough some of this was to write, and they were with me every step of the way, battling it out and keeping the gin in the freezer for when things got glum. So grateful to you three, and I will never forget you. And production support from Marcy DePina. Original music every episode by Aaron Kaufman. Our theme music is Wayfaring Stranger, performed by Profane Sass. Thanks to Scott Machado at Flail Records. Our logo is by Lucy Quintanilla and uses a photograph by Mike Brody, the roving, now phoneless photographer. And at iHeart, thanks to Nikki Etor and Bethann Macaluso. We'll be back next week in the days of Christmas past and also the fires of hell on City of the Rails. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.